Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. May the Lord add blessing to the reading and especially the doing of his word. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord, into your presence we come, you who made us. We are yours, we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And we come, Lord, with adoration on our tongues and in our hearts for you, because you are faithful as our good shepherd. You are the one who provides for us, not only materially, physically, but also spiritually, In Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit, you have given us everything needed for life and godliness, for redemption, for eternal life. And so we begin our prayer this morning, Lord, giving you the praise that is due you. And we will be careful, uh, as we have been in this service, to give you honor, to exalt your name. Lord, we are uh, cognizant of the fact that even in this past week, Uh, We have gone astray. We have sinned against you. And so we confess, Lord, uh, the things that are burdening us as far as our sin is concerned. And we ask, Lord, for your forgiveness. We know from your word that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And so we, again, give you thanks for that word of Atonement, that word of cleansing, which is by Jesus Christ and his blood shed for us. Lord, this morning we are a thankful people. So many things to thank you for. And all we have to do is remember the wondrous deeds that you have wrought throughout history. The fact that you created this world by the breath of your mouth. The fact that you led your people out of Egypt through the Red Sea and then provided for them in the wilderness with manna and quail. Uh, The fact, Lord, that you sent kings like David to expand the land that was covenanted to Abraham. Uh, The fact that you have kept a remnant of your people throughout history. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus, of course, for his coming, for his teaching, for his atoning death on the cross, for his resurrection, his ascension, and the truth and fact that he is coming again to take his children home. And for the new heavens and new earth, Lord, that are yet to come. Lord, we are an anticipatory people, an excited people, because of all that you have done and will do for us. We give you praise and we give you thanks. And Father, this morning, as we think of those in our congregation, some of whom are ill, others who are hurting, uh, some who are experiencing uh, difficult relational issues, whether with family or friends, we pray, Lord, for your mercy. We pray for your healing power. We pray for your wisdom. 
And Lord God, we know that you are a God who loves to draw near to your people. We pray for your gladness. We pray for your strength, Lord, no matter what it is that we are walking through. We pray that you would be our sustainer and our Lord and remind us every day of the things of the gospel and the hope that we have. Lord, as we continue in this service a little later and open your word, I pray for power. I pray, dear God, that you would arrest hearts and minds, that, Lord, if it be your pleasure, that it would be even a paradigm-shifting moment for someone here today. Lord, do what you will, I pray in Jesus' name. Have freedom to do that. All these things we pray in the mighty and in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And the children are dismissed for Children's Church. There's no concept of who Christ is. Who is Jesus? To the first would-be disciple, Jesus revealed himself as the rejected suffering servant. To the second would-be disciple, Jesus revealed himself as the priority for human beings, because Jesus is the one in whom the kingdom of God has come. What about the third would-be disciple? Well, friends, in many ways, the best is saved for last. With the third would-be disciple in verses 61 and 62, what we have is really the climactic moment of Luke 7 through 9. This is where the clearest and the most profound answer to the question that we've been circling around this morning is now given. What is the precise identity of Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? Now we find out. But before we get there, after that big dramatic build-up, before we get there, a brief but very important Old Testament interlude. So come with me to this little story that's found at the tail end of 1 Kings 19. We're at, if you have your Bible, we're at 1 Kings 19, verses 19 through 21. And this is a little story about, you guessed it, Elijah. This story concerns Elijah passing the torch, as it were, to Elisha. Elijah recognizes Elisha as his prophetic successor. So Elijah goes and he finds Elisha in a field, and Elisha is plowing there. And there in the field, Elijah passes by Elisha, and Elijah puts his cloak on Elisha, which is symbolic of the fact that Elisha will succeed Elijah in the role of prophet. When this passing of the cloak happens, Elisha then runs after Elijah, we notice, and he says to Elijah in 1 Kings 19.20, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Now watch this, friends. In reply to this request of Elisha, Elijah is cool with it. Elijah says to Elisha, essentially, 
Yeah, sure. No problem, Elisha. Do what you need to do with your mom and dad. And when you get back, I'll be waiting here for you. So we need to notice this. Elijah the prophet seems to have no issues, no qualms with Elisha's request to go kiss his mom and dad goodbye. Our question is, is Jesus Elijah? Is Jesus Elijah resurrected in the flesh? Let's go to the final third would-be disciple in Luke 9, beginning at verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Now, because of the Where's Elijah game that Luke has clearly been playing throughout Luke chapter 9, of course we are meant to to read this question of this third would-be disciple as a direct reflection, listen, as a direct reflection of Elisha's words to Elijah in 1 Kings 19.20. Elijah had said, or sorry, Elisha had said to Elijah, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And now this third would-be disciple in Luke 9 says to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. The words in both cases are striking in their similarity, which then ramps up the fire That's been going on and growing in this text. Elijah had responded in a rather easygoing, favorable way to Elisha's request in 1 Kings 19. Will Jesus now respond in an easygoing and favorable way to this third would-be disciple? Is Jesus, Elijah, come back in the flesh? Verse 62. Jesus said to this man, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Bam! What's going on here? What's going on is that Jesus gives a firm no to this man's request, where Elijah had given an easygoing yes to Elisha's very similar sounding request. No, says Jesus. You may not go back home to say farewell to your folks as a condition on following me. What's happening here? Friends, what's happening is, and I hope we see it, that Jesus is asserting his true identity. After all the questions and confusion about Jesus' identity in these chapters, now Jesus is expressing clearly who he actually is. In one stroke, Jesus is telling us here who he is not and who he is. First of all, he is not Elijah. He won't behave like Elijah. If Elijah was easygoing with Elisha's request to go back and spend a little time with the family before committing to following Elijah, Jesus will not be easygoing like that. Things are different with Jesus and the coming of the kingdom. Jesus, listen, demands, that's not too strong a word, Jesus demands unqualified obedience. We may not 
put any conditions on following Jesus. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus, you see, is very different than Elijah. We must not confuse Jesus as being merely on par with some Old Testament prophet or any Old Testament prophet. Jesus should not be confused with any Old Testament prophet, whether it be Elijah or Moses or Isaiah or Zephaniah or Micah or Amos or any of the other Old Testament prophets. Jesus is in a different category than any of them and all of them put together. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord. He's asserting his lordship here with this third would-be disciple. When Jesus says jump, we don't say, maybe tomorrow I'll think about jumping. Instead we ask, how high would you like me to jump, Jesus? There is an urgency that's being taught in this passage. There's an urgency about the coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ that requires our unqualified obedience. Because the old world, friends, is passing away. And there is a new heavens and new earth coming. And we are on a timeline. There's an urgency to the proclamation of the kingdom that has come in Jesus. About 12 years ago now, our family traveled out to Karenport, Saskatchewan to attend a family reunion on my mom's side. And on the Saturday afternoon, as a way to sort of recoup some of the costs that were incurred as we put the weekend together, we had an auction of various family-related items. And one of the items that I brought along for the auction was a copy of my grandfather's World War I attestation papers. And you see on the screen the actual document. can't read it probably, but it's there. My grandfather fought at Passchendaele and was injured there when a piece of timber fell on his leg and broke some bones. But this attestation form was signed by my grandfather just prior to his departure for Europe to fight for Canada in the year 1916 when Grandpa was only 19 years of age. On the front of those attestation papers, there was a little section of oath that all men had to sign before they were shipped off to fight. And I want to read that section to you. It's dated... March 24th, 1916, and it reads as follows. I, Harold Evans Staples, that's my grandfather on my mom's side, do make oath that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King George V, his heirs and successors, and that I will, as in duty bound, honestly and faithfully defend his majesty, his heirs and successors, in person, crown, and dignity against all enemies and will observe and obey all orders of his majesty, his heirs and successors, and of all the generals and officers set over me. So help me God. 
So here's my grandfather, a farm boy from Manitoba, literally leaving his plow at the tender age of 19, leaving behind what was familiar, leaving aside whatever plans in Canada that he may have had, going overseas to a foreign place, to France, with people he'd never met, there to lay down his life, if necessary, for king and country in the name of freedom and democracy. Well, friends, I think that's not a bad picture of the life of discipleship in Jesus Christ. When you begin to follow Christ the King and Lord, you are pledging to observe and obey all orders of His Majesty. You are pledging to make personal agendas second or third if push comes to shove. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you can bank on a reorganization of your entire world. What Jesus makes clear at the tail end of Luke 9 is that He is Lord and we are disciples. Amen? He is Lord and we are disciples. He's Lord. At his birth in Luke 2.11, Jesus had already been called Christ the Lord. And in later New Testament texts, Jesus is also identified as Lord. In Philippians 2.11, we find the words, Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10.9, we find the phrase, Jesus is Lord. And in places like Revelation 17.14 and 19.16, Jesus is called Lord of Lords, picking up on how Yahweh had been identified in Deuteronomy 10.17 as Lord of Lords. Jesus, Lord of Lords, shares stature with Yahweh, Lord of Lords. What does the title Lord indicate? Who is Jesus? He is the one, listen, with all authority. How much authority does Jesus have? Matthew 28, 18. All authority. He is the one who is the head of the church, Ephesians 5, 23. And he is head over human history. And he reigns supreme over creation. He is the goal and the focus of all history, Ephesians 1, 10. He is the one who has entered into our hermetically sealed bubble to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil and to draw us into relationship with himself. He is in the form of God, Philippians 2.6, and he is God, Romans 9.5, Titus 2.13. He is the head of all rule and authority. Colossians 2.10, and everything was created by him and for him. 1 Corinthians 8.6 and Colossians 1.16. Jesus is Lord, and as Lord, Jesus requires his followers to heed his word and follow him. Listen to me very carefully. If we simply profess allegiance to Jesus with words only, but we don't obey him by keeping his word, if we only pay lip service to Jesus while we are walking in disobedience to his directives, then frankly, 
we should have no assurance of our salvation. As Dennis Johnson has said in his book, Walking with Jesus Through His Word, it is hollow and it is hypocritical to profess allegiance to Jesus in mere words without heeding his directives for our lives. And then Johnson quotes Jesus himself in Luke 6.46 where Jesus asks, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Johnson says, Jesus is a commander who expects ready and eager obedience. Yes. And we should add here that Jesus himself drew the connection, didn't he? He drew the connection between loving him and obeying his commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Inference? If the trend in our lives is to not keep the commandments of Jesus, if we don't do as Jesus requires, then we show that we don't love him. And then two verses later, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then in verse 24 he says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Now I want to be careful to give you a qualification to everything that we've been talking about this morning and then we'll wrap up. The qualification has to do with the motivation of our obedience to Jesus. And the qualification is simply this, that when you and I follow Jesus... When you and I obey his word and keep his commandments, listen carefully, it's not something we do in order to earn the favor of Jesus and God. No. For the Christian believer saved by grace, the rescue has already happened. God has already shown favor toward us when none of us Deserved it. We don't obey and keep commandments and jump when Jesus says jump to earn his favor. Rather, as the New Testament tells us, saved believers have been saved by God and shown favor by God already. Now we obey the commands of Jesus and jump when he says jump in the power that he supplies and out of a heart of love for him and gratitude for the salvation that he has given. Are you saved today? Have you been rebirthed by the Holy Spirit of the living God? If so, you'll know what I'm talking about. Because of God showing favor on us, undeserving, demerited sinners, now we can obey him and we want to obey him. Amen? So listen to the order of things in a verse like Ephesians 2.10, just so this is clear. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, for, listen to the order of things. For we are his workmanship, okay, it's God's doing, God's workmanship, created, it's God's verb, he's the one that's creating, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the creative power of God comes upon us first in rebirth, and that creative power is unleashed for the purpose in this verse of good works that we are to walk in. Well, a similar order of things is found also in Titus 2.14. Listen to this, where Paul writes that it was Jesus who gave himself, none of us consulted him, He gave himself for us to redeem us, it's all God, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, it's all him, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So the redemption and the purification of Jesus happens for the purpose of creating people who are zealous for good works. The, the upshot, again, is that we don't do good works to earn the favor of God. He's already shown favor to us. God provides for us everything we need to obey him. When he rescues us, God gives us the enablement and he gives us the desire to obey. Well, as we close this meditation on the true identity of Jesus, I want to ask you to search yourself right now. Have you been unclear on the identity of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're a person who has recognized Jesus as Savior. You've recognized Jesus as the one who saves us from the wrath to come. It's part of who he is. But you haven't taken him as the Lord who makes demands on you. As A.W. Tozer once said, and I want you to listen to this because I think he's bang on, he said, it's altogether doubtful whether anyone can be saved who comes to Christ for his help, but who has no intention to obey him. Again, it is altogether doubtful whether anyone can be saved who comes to Christ for his help, but who has no intention to obey him. Well, the Jesus that we preach at Snowden Baptist Church is both Savior and he is Lord. The Jesus we preach here is the Jesus of Scripture who is the one that the human heart longs for. He is the crucified, resurrected, ascended, and soon coming Lord and King who has all authority, who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Jesus is the one who has the words of eternal life. Nobody else does. Jesus does. He is the one who commands us to obey, but whose commandments, say scripture, are not burdensome. He is the one whose directives are meant to bring us so that we run with the grain of the universe and stop getting slivers in our lives. Jesus Christ, the Lord, calls you this morning and he calls me to follow him. Amen? Let's pray. Let's take a few pregnant moments of silence before the Lord and let this word do what God wants it to do.
Father, sometimes your word comes sweet like flannel sheets. Other times it comes like sandpaper. And Lord, but my prayer is, even if this has come like sandpaper to some, that you in your redemptive way would use that uncomfortableness, that discomfort for your redemptive purposes in someone's life here today, that you would draw them closer to you and enable them and help them to see your lordship and what it means for every aspect of his or her life. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for Luke 9, for Jesus, for the fact that we serve an authoritative, crucified, risen, soon-coming king with whom we will delight to spend eternity with. We thank you, Lord, and we ask, go with us richly and powerfully in the rest of this day and week. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to move now directly to our benediction. There is no closing song today, so please would you stand. And the benediction is this. May the eternal and ever-blessed God order what is disordered in your life. May he bring your mind to his truth, your conscience to his law, and your heart to his love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.